It's great to have Zach Cole with us tonight to be preaching, and he's going to come now and read Romans 16 for us. Yep, the scripture reading is Romans chapter 16, so I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, In your pew Bible, it's page 1142, but I'm going to read it from the ESV version uh, rather than the NIV, Romans chapter 16, and I'll read the whole, whole chapter. This is God's word. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent As to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations 
according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Here ends the reading. The hard part was reading all the names. Now I just have to preach them. Uh, So that's no problem. Um, Recent events, both in the college uh, and in the denomination, have um, given some of us pause to reflect on what our priorities really are. There's been things that have been happening that have um, given us, especially the people at the college, some time to think about what's really important both to believe and what's really important to do. Um, A couple years ago, our second daughter, Ivy, was turning two years old, and we had a party for her. And this may have happened to you before, where you're having a party and people are coming over, and the house is not ready for a party. And so while guests are arriving, uh, you are trying to get the chairs in order and trying to sweep you know, the dust away and trying to get things ready to have a party. And in the chaos and the confusion of preparing for this party, we actually lost track of Ivy. And so there's kids running around, there's cake, there's adults not paying attention to the kids, and Ivy walked away. And she wasn't downstairs, she wasn't upstairs, she wasn't in the back. She had actually walked out the front door and walked down the road all by herself. She had never done this before, and she's never done it since. But on her birthday, when we were ready to sing to her, we couldn't find her. Now, she was found safely um, about a quarter of a mile down the road, and you'll never guess who found her. Stephen Kennedy. (laughs) He was at the party, and he was the hero of the day. But you know where this is going. We were so focused on what we thought was important that we lost sight of what was actually most important. And in the confusion and the chaos, getting ready for the birthday, the birthday girl was walking out the door. What is God's priority today? Have you ever thought about that? What is God's most important priority today? Are you aware of what it is and what your role is in it? Sometimes it feels like we have so many things we think are important. We have finances to sort out. We have health problems that bother us. We have the next promotion at work to look forward to. We have our next vacation planned. And all the things that we think are important might simply be distracting us from God's priority for you and me and his church. And God's priority might be walking out the door right now. The question for us this this evening is what is God's priority? How would we know And how can we get on board with his priority? How can we align our priorities with his? How can we change the way we think and believe and act so that they match up with what's most important to God today? To help answer that question, I want to turn to Romans chapter 16. So open back up 
to chapter 16. It might seem like a strange passage to pick for something like this. Uh, it's got a lot of names. It doesn't seem to be terribly relevant. However, I love this chapter. I love this chapter. John Graham is uh, a student at the college, you well know, and I've been teaching uh, this past semester a module on the book of Romans. And he can tell you that I love Romans, and I love Romans chapter 16. And I love the bits of scripture that people think are hard to preach, so I like to take that as a challenge. But I think that what's happening at the end of Romans is very, very important for us as we're thinking about God's priority, God's priority today for his church. Because this massive book, the book of Romans, this monument of Christian theology, comes to a close with chapter 16, and Paul is not wasting his time greeting people for no reason. He is very strategically writing to the believers in Rome. You may not know this, but Paul had not been to Rome at the time he was writing this. This isn't a church that he founded. This is a group of congregations in Rome that he was writing from a distance. But he felt the need to make sure of the church's health and security and stability. And you can kind of picture the the anxiety that Paul would have writing thousands of miles away, trying to make sure that the church in Rome makes it. And so when he comes to the end of his letter, he's not wasting time on pleasantries. He is getting down to what is most important. He's reiterating the most important bits of his letter. He's summarizing, recapping, and saying, before I sign off, you've got to know this. And Paul makes two basic points that I'm going to focus on tonight. Two basic points about what the church's priority ought to be today and what we can do about it. The first one comes in verse 17. Verse 17 is the first of his two points where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. The first thing that Paul says is, watch out, wake up, open your eyes. For what? Watch out for people who are going to teach you a false gospel. They're going to take the gospel and twist it. They're going to change it, and they're going to change it into something that sounds smooth and flattering. Watch out. Keep your eyes open. If we were to translate it slightly more literally, Paul says something counterintuitive. He says, uh, keep your eye on them and turn away from them. How can you do both at the same time? You can't. But you get what Paul is saying. Keep your eyes open. Spot the people who are introducing divisions and obstacles and turn away from them. Why? Because there are people, both within the church and outside the church, that want to twist the gospel. But they're not serving Christ. Who are they serving? They're serving their own appetites, their own desires. They're driven by fleshly desire rather than the truth. Of God. Do you watch out 
for false teaching. Do you even care? You may not care about what's happening in the college. You may not really care about what's happening in the denomination. But do you watch out for false doctrine? Is it a priority for you or is it kind of negotiable? Now, I didn't plan this sermon very well because um, I really need the ESV for this sermon. And I was uh, disappointed to see the NIV in the pews because the NIV is the one translation that doesn't work with my next point. But uh, look back down at verse 18 and I'll tell you about it anyway. Verse 18 says, uh, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive The NIV says minds, the minds of the naive. ESV says the hearts of the the naive. And if you have the authorized version of the King James Version, it also says hearts. And my point is, hearts is the right word there. Literally what Paul says, his his original word is hearts. And the NIV is trying to over-translate it for you. But this is really interesting to me. This is really interesting to me. How do you deceive someone's heart? But I love the way that Paul has put that because that's exactly what's happening today. If you listen to the arguments being made in today's culture trying to persuade the church to change its mind and update its views on things, these are not arguments based on logic aimed at your mind. They are arguments based on emotion aimed at your heart. Think, for example, of the arguments made today about gender identity. The arguments made today about gender identity are not based on logic. They go something like this. Isn't it wrong and unjust and mean to impose your traditional views on somebody else if they don't identify with the gender you think they should identify with? Isn't it unjust and wrong to do that? Isn't that judgmental? The argument is aimed at your heart so that you think, oh man, maybe I am being judgmental. All the while, every bit of logic available to us tells us that God has created male and female to complement one another. But the discussion isn't based on logic. It's based on what appeals to the heart. Why? Because if they can get your heart, your mind will follow. If they can capture your heart, your mind will go with it every time. And so the arguments today about gender identity or really anything else will probably be based on emotion aimed at your heart. And so that's why Paul says, watch out. Because those arguments will lull you into a hypnosis. They will deceive you and trick you. And Paul is writing from afar trying to make sure that his church is not carried away by such arguments that twist and change 
the gospel, it's so easy for our hearts to be deceived. Do you know better? Are you able to see an argument like that? Can you spot it and do you have a response to it? See, this is why we spend so much time at Union teaching students how to read Scripture carefully and, if at all possible, in the original languages. It's painful for them. It's fun for me. But we don't do it because it's fun for me. We do it because it's vital for the health of the church. There was a, a student I was, um, uh, I was reading the New Testament with. We were translating the book of Colossians. And it was Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, which describes Jesus as the firstborn over all creation. And so I wanted to put the student on the spot and said, what does that mean? Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Tell me, student, does that mean Jesus is the first created thing? The student was just blank. Didn't have... a ready answer for that. Who cares, right? Minor detail. The answer to that question is actually very, very significant. Why? Because if Jesus is the first created thing, then he's not eternal, is he? He's created. He has a time before he even existed. If he's the first created thing, he's not eternal. How can any non-eternal being Satisfy the wrath of an eternal God. He can't. And so if Jesus is the first created thing, you and I are still in our sins. You see, it seems like a tiny minor detail that we can relegate to the footnotes, but the dominoes fall and it becomes a massive issue on the other end. So what's the actual answer? Before I move on, I'll tell you. Firstborn overall creation doesn't mean he's the first created thing. In the Old Testament, the firstborn have priority over all the siblings. And that's what Paul means. Jesus Christ has priority and preeminence over all creation. Because in the very next line, Paul says that through him all things were created. We've got to watch out. We've got to be careful Jesus Christ is building his church in this nation. That is his priority, and we've got to watch out and open our eyes. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, how can I watch out for doctrine like that? How can you? How are you supposed to know what Paul means in Colossians 1.15? Can I rightly expect you to know if that's you this, this evening, take heart. Don't be discouraged because I skipped 16 verses that are for you. Look back at the first 16 verses of the chapter. That's all the names, all the people. Guess what? Those are ordinary folk. Those are ordinary people. The best we can tell from these names and these people that are described here is that they are not professional theologians. They are not the professor of systematic theology. They're not lecturers in New Testament. They are ordinary Christians that fill the pews, so to speak. 
They don't have degrees from Union College. They may not read books on theology. From what we can tell, they are ordinary folks. And that is where you come in. What I want to suggest to you this evening is that if you consider yourself an ordinary Christian and you're not sure how to align your priorities with God's priorities, take a close look at these names and these people and see if you can't get a sense of what God is calling you to do. I want to point out quickly how diverse the group is. First of all, how diverse this group is. There are 29 individuals here. Ten of them are women. Ten of them are women. Phoebe is a woman. Prisca, Mary, Junia, Trephena, Trephosa, Persis, Julia. These are women. Ten of them women. A third of them are women greeted by Paul. The rest are men. Many of them we can tell by their names are Jewish. Prisca and Aquila, Andronicus, Mary, and Herodian. Those are Jewish names. But many of them are Gentiles. There's some people here with good Greco-Roman names like Hermes and Olympus. Men, women, Jew, Gentile. There are wealthy people in the list. Did you catch the wealthy folks? Phoebe is wealthy enough to be a patron to Paul, verse 2. Prisca and Aquila seem to have some sort of means. They have a church that meets in their house. And if they live in Rome, which is composed mostly of tenement buildings, to have a house big enough to hold a church means you've got at least some money. But there's also some poor folk in this list. We can tell from some of their names that many of these people are slaves. Verse 9 There's a fellow named Urbanus. That's a very common slave name from the time. Rufus, verse 13, very common slave name. Julia, as well, verse 15. These are typical slave names. Men, women, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, and poor. A diverse group of folks. What unites them? There's a theme running through the names. It's that they work hard. Did you see how often that was repeated? They work hard. Verse 3, Prisca and Aquila are called fellow workers. Verse 6, Mary worked hard for you. Verse 9, Urbanus is called a worker in Christ. Verse 12, Trifana and Trifosa are called workers in the Lord Also, verse 12, Persis worked hard in the Lord. Watch out. Work hard. The gospel is a call to hard work. They may not be how it's advertised to you today, but the gospel is a call to hard work. It is not a ticket to sit in the stands and watch as the church grows. These people in uh, chapter 16 may not have been professional theologians, but they worked hard in supporting Paul, supporting the work of the ministry, contributing to the progress of the gospel. I'm not going to preach on each person. That would take 
a bit of time, but let me point out to you at least a couple that are really interesting to me. What I love is verse 13. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Let that sink in for a moment. Paul is not writing to his biological brother and biological mother. He's writing to a woman who has become a mother to him. What on earth did this woman do for Paul that earned this title? Honestly, we have no idea what she did. We don't know about her. from. Any, she's not even named here. But what could she have done to get this recommendation as someone who became a mother to Paul? Did she feed him when he was in prison? Did she look after him after he was beaten? Did she give him a place to stay? We have no idea. But that's part of the fun of this passage. It's so specific and so vague at the same time. Uh, This woman and people like her are very interesting to me because of my own experience coming to Northern Ireland. You'll know I'm not from around here. And when we came here, we didn't know anybody. Um, And this congregation in particular was hugely instrumental in making my family feel welcome in Northern Ireland. And there are people in this congregation that I'm not going to point out to you that in a way became a mother to me, became a parent to me and my kids and my family. So I feel like I know what this is like. I know what Paul is getting at. I know what it's like to say, you may not have a degree in theology, but what you can do is support the work of the church. What have you been given? What resources, what time, what skills have you been given? Don't let those go to waste. If you don't know how to put them into practice, if you don't know what you can contribute, ask Nigel, ask John. They would love to tell you what you can do. But if the Apostle Paul needs someone to become a mother to him, do you think Presbyterian ministers need mothers as well? Or those who work in the creche? Or they play music up front? Or they teach Sunday school? You can bet they need people to support them. They need people to come alongside them, to help them, to contribute in practical, small, but thoughtful ways. That's just one small example. But don't rob the church of your involvement. Don't sit on the sidelines. God has called you and saved you and redeemed you and brought you into his family. Not so you can watch, but so that you can get involved. The gospel is not a call for us to get saved and quit working. We've got our ticket to heaven. The gospel is a call to hard work. It's a call to make Disciples. Do you make disciples? It's a call to serve one another. Do you serve one another? It's a call to support the work of ministry. If you're already doing something like this, and I know many of you are 
doing something like this. You are either doing Christian ministry or you are supporting the ministry in some way. Take encouragement from Paul here that your work is never wasted. Keep up the good work. Keep working hard. I know that doing work like that can feel unappreciated and tiring and exhausting and that it's not doing anything. It's not bearing fruit. But Paul is greeting these people with so much joy in his heart for the way that they have facilitated and helped and supported his work. If you are involved in something like this, your work is never, ever wasted. If you're not doing something like this, if you're on the fringes of the church, get involved. God has equipped you and given you something. Resources, skills. Put them to use. Don't let God's priority walk out the front door. You see, the problem with most of us is not that we're lazy. Paul says work hard, not because we're lazy, and I wouldn't accuse you of being lazy. The question is not whether you're working, but what are you working for? What are you working for? You might be working very hard right now. You might have been working very hard for the past several decades. But what are you working for? You're working for the next raise. The next model of car that's coming out next year. The next upgrade to your house. The next advancement at work. Is your work serving your own ends? Securing your own future? Is it serving your own social calendar? That's why Paul says they've worked hard in the Lord. These people have worked hard in the Lord, and that's our call as well. Work hard, but work hard in the Lord. You might be in a pew, but that does not mean that you are on the sidelines. And you may not be called to be a Paul or a James or a Peter, but you can be an Urbanus. You can be a Mary. You can be a Hermes. God is in the business of building his church today. That is what he is doing. That is his priority. And if you want to be involved in that, watch out and work hard. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Sovereign God, we want your kingdom to come. And we bow our hearts before you in submission. And we thank you for the grace and the mercy that was poured out on the cross. And we thank you for the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, never to die again, but to reign in glory forever and ever. We thank you for the mystery that has been kept secret for the ages now revealed in Jesus Christ. 
you are the only wise God. And in your heart is love for the sinner. Would you give us life? Teach us to love one another. Teach us to work hard in the Lord. Because you've loved us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.